Hello, and welcome to Eyes on Success, a weekly program covering a wide variety of topics of interest to people with vision loss. I'm Nancy Goodman Torpy. And I'm Pete Torpy. As many of our listeners know, one of the missions of Eyes on Success, and one of the reasons for us doing this show, is to illustrate that even if you have a visual impairment, you can still lead a happy and rewarding life, become an incredible athlete, or even have a rewarding professional career. This week, we'll be talking with a person who, although blind at youth, became a computer engineer and has a great career. We'll be speaking with Jeff Bishop, who we heard from last week when we did a program about the narrator screen reader that's built into Windows, because Jeff is the program manager of that project. And we will hear from Jeff about many of his experiences as a youth, as a student, as a professional, and what he considers to be some of the keys to his success. But first for the tip of the week. This week's tip is the importance of having good communication skills. And in the show, you will hear Jeff talking about how important what he learned through his participation in Toastmasters International has been to him. And good communication skills are not only important for people with visual impairments, but for everybody. I mean, Nancy and I noticed this particularly in our professional careers, The people that spoke better and gave better presentations were more easily able to get their points across and have their point of view accepted in a professional environment. Writing skills are very important, so you can clearly communicate your ideas in a written format. And we'll see how Jeff talks about that and how important it was in his career. You are listening to Eyes on Success. 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 Let's start by meeting Jeff. So, Jeff, we talked to you last week about the narrator screen reader that's part of Windows. And this week, we wanted to talk to you about your personal history. But for people who may not have heard that show, maybe you can give a brief introduction of yourself. Sure. My name is Jeff Bishop, and I work at Microsoft as a program manager. I'm married and have two children and live in Kirkland, Washington been blind since birth. In just a bit, we'll be talking about your professional journey in detail. But in talking to you for this interview, I keep thinking you have one of those voices that makes it sound like it's just made for radio. And not coincidentally, you do have a connection with radio, don't you? I do, actually. So I work with the American Council of the Blind, and I work on a CB radio. So you'll often hear me on shows like Main Menu and and other shows that are heard over on ACB Radio on Mainstream. Eyes on Success is made possible in part by our corporate partners. Underwriting pairs the impact of targeted marketing with the integrity of community goodwill. Learn more by sending an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. This week's focus topic is Jeff Bishop's personal, educational, and professional path. So let's start out by talking about your childhood. I take it you were very active as a youth. I was. You know, I was born three and a half months uh, premature. Uh, I actually had a twin brother, and he passed away a a day after he was born. And uh, I had a pretty interesting 
early childhood. You know, my parents really didn't know how to deal with someone who was blind at that time. And now they have a blind child. And this was quite a struggle for them. And not only that, but I also had issues with my, my legs and my feet. I was pretty much a mess wow. <laughs> when, I was, when I was young. Well, you know, it's interesting. New parents in general, they don't have experience with babies. And it's always an interesting thing, especially with the first child. But then especially when they have some difficulties, as you did, it's particularly challenging. And you have to admire the parents for stepping up to the challenge. Absolutely. And so my, my parents really got very engaged in trying to learn all they could. And, you know, I was raised with the understanding that, you know, Jeff, you pretty much can do whatever you want. You know, your blindness doesn't represent you. And uh, that's how they raised me. And so I did all kinds of crazy things, you know, and, and education and learning Braille was something that was absolutely key in my childhood and throughout my life and career and even in my personal life and the things that I do. If it wasn't for Braille, I don't know that I would even have the career that I have, to be honest with you. I understand your parents were instrumental in your learning Braille. Yes, my mom took a, a very strong focus in ensuring that I learned Braille. In fact, she learned Braille, spent a lot of time with me when I was very young. And uh, if it wasn't for her, it, I, I don't know that, that I would be where I'm at either, you know, and, and my dad. My dad was really the type that would, would want me to get involved in, you know, with, with things that he liked to do, you know. And, and so I went water skiing and, and my brother taught me how to ride a, a bicycle. And so, you know, it was the entire family that really worked with me to uh, be the, the person that I was when I was growing up. You rode a single bicycle being totally blind? Yeah, 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 that was pretty horrible. I, I, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, I took out many a street sign and, and mailbox. And in fact, I even hit a police car once. Oops. It was parked in the street. And yeah, and then my dad said, you know, I'm going to get you a helmet, which I thought, well, that's good. That's probably a good thing to have. So he bought me a giant football helmet, you know, with the full faceplate and everything. <laughs> and, uh, and I thought, well, this isn't going to work. And so that lasted for about an hour. And I ended up breaking the, the uh, faceplate off of the, uh, the helmet because you couldn't, you can't hear where you're going. Oh, interesting. You know, you've got this thing that covers your ears and your face. And, you know, so if you use facial vision or, or echolocation, you know, it, it's almost impossible to know where you were going. So, yeah, I've had some pretty wild stories. We pretty much owned the local hospital. I was there very, very frequently. <laughs> <laughs> I actually had a limited amount of vision when I was a kid, and I enjoyed riding my bike. And with the amount of vision I had, the gray garbage cans that people put on the street just blended into the gray pavement. And uh, almost all of those were well dented, as well as my bike in that neighborhood. <laughs> So I can empathize with you there. <laughs> you know, you talk about the importance of your upbringing, the importance of your parents. And I feel very much that way myself. My parents were so instrumental in making me face my own challenges, encouraging me to do whatever I wanted to do, supporting me when I needed support, but not kind of pandering to me or babying me in the process. And that is, I think, 
you know, key to my success also. And it's very difficult for a parent to stand back. I know there are many times my mother said, you know, she had her heart in her mouth. She wanted to jump in and handle the situation for me, but knew it was Absolutely. best for me to handle it myself. Yeah. So, Jeff, were you mainstreamed as a kid or did you go to a special school for the blind? I was mainstreamed in high school, uh, but I attended the Arizona State School for the Deaf and Blind in elementary school and in uh, junior high. You know, I, I remember one specific experience that I was actually very fearful of doing at the time, and that was uh, going with, with my school and hiking down the, the uh, Grand Canyon and actually diving through a waterfall. And it was quite an experience for me to be able to learn to trust and have that ability to really trust people around me that it would be safe to do specific things. And that just set me into a, a whirlwind of doing all kinds of crazy things and probably more that I probably shouldn't have done. But <laughs> just, you know, uh, <laughs> yeah, it was really a wonderful learning experience. And my parents put me in positions that really allowed me to thrive and become the person who I am. Yeah. This Grand Canyon trip, did you have some trusted friends who you could follow down the path, or did you just totally navigate with your cane? No, no. We, we, there was a whole group that went, and there were specific people who were professional guides, and so they would help, meaning a guide through the Grand Canyon itself, but also trained in mobility and sighted guide technique and stuff like that, so that, you know, as we would traverse down the canyon you know you're walking on these really narrow spots where you know you take one step to the left and uh, you wouldn't exist anymore but we've been there yeah so it's it's pretty scary stuff but somehow you're still alive i'm still alive i'm here yes absolutely yeah 40 years later i'm still here so somehow you survived all that in your childhood and are now a professional working at microsoft and i understand you used to be a coder in the past when did you first get your interest in some of these more, what people might call nerdy aspects of life? Yeah, well, it started pretty young. You know, I started with a Radio Shack color computer and then moved to the Commodore. I used that for a number of years and, and learned programming there. Um, worked with some really great and talented people so that we could take the screen reader that existed on that platform at the time and, and adapted it to be able to work with all kinds of different applications. We had to get the screen reader to load in different memory locations so that other uh, applications on, on the computer would work. This was a special screen reader written for the Commodore? It wasn't built in. Yeah. Was it? No, no, it was not built in. No, it was, a, it was you know, you would load it from a cassette. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, pretty old school. I remember those. And uh, yeah, a, a data set uh, cartridge. And, you know, you'd pop in the cassette tape and load the screen reader and you know, never turn it off. <laughs> so that enabled you to use these early computers. Yeah, I didn't have Braille support. Everything was speech and it was, you know, pretty rough speech at that time. But boy, I, I used that for, wow, for four or five, almost six years, actually, uh, either with a Commodore 64 or 128 and learned assembly language and basic programming and, you know, the real basics of just, you know, getting my hands dirty Played a lot of adventure games <laughs> back then, uh, you know, te text adventure games. Well, that was safer than hiking down the Grand Canyon anyway. Yeah, but not as much fun. That's true. Good yeah. point. <laughs> when did you eventually become 
more serious about this and decide you were going to pursue an education in that field and maybe even a career? Yeah. Then I went to college and I uh, started studying that professionally and then started working in 1987 for a company doing documentation writing, which was my first uh, part of my career. And then I quickly moved into programming and did programming for Disney Imagineering and uh, the automotive industry and the clothing industry. And then, you know, I've done quite a bit all over the place. Um, Lots of database skill work uh, back in the late 80s and 90s. So this must have been interesting going through school and some of your early career in the late 80s, early 90s. All DOS at that time. Yeah, the technologies that made all this accessible were not nearly as mature as they were now. How did you handle some of that? You must have run into some interesting obstacles. Yeah, we we used a terminal program. I used Kermit at the time, which may bring back some memories from for some of your uh, audience. Oh, I do remember Kermit. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, used used that. It was very accessible at the time, and uh, we would then connect to you know mainframes and remote systems and and do everything, you know, that way. Well, that's interesting. That's how I used my Unix box when I worked at Xerox. Unix itself wasn't accessible as Linux is today. No. And I used my DOS computer as a terminal emulator to run my Unix box. Right, and I used Braille. So I had a VersaBraille 2 and then the VersaBraille 2 Plus. And so I used that. Yeah, for people who don't know, the VersaBraille was a little portable device with only 20 Braille characters. And a and again, most of its memory was on a cassette. Yes, that's right. Absolutely. What kind of reaction did you have from teachers and professors in school? Were they helpful to you or, you know, giving you encouragement? Yeah, in college, it was a lot easier. In high school, it was a lot harder because they had no idea how to adapt to, you know, making this work for me, you know, so they would get readers and things like that. And so a fellow student and I came up with a, a prototype where we well, mainly him, because I, I didn't have the skill to, to program the, the PDP-11 at that time to be able to do this. But we programmed it in such a way where the screen would be read in Morse code. Oh, wow. Because I was a ham radio operator at the time. And so we used that a little bit, but I, I mainly relied on on readers and, and, and things like things like that. Mm-hmm. Of course, when I started college, I had a Braille display. So I used that for all my programming. And that, that's where, you know, Braille was so pivotal because, especially in some programming languages, indentation was absolutely crucial. If you had the professors that I had um, and things weren't indented right, uh, don't even bother turning in the paper. Right. It looked Mm -hmm. ugly to a sighted person. Yeah. Well, and also back then, as I recall, a lot of those programming languages, you had to use very much shorter variable names. And so they didn't speak well. These days you can make the name pretty long and it actually sounds like a word. Mm -hmm. So I know some people these days that program only using speech, but I always relied on Braille when I was programming because variables were shorter names and I like to see all the details. Right, but even programming languages today, like Python, you know, that this is where Braille is really important because they're they're indentation-based. Mm-hmm. And so it's really important to have that, you know, skill. So, you know, I know we keep mentioning Braille here, but really, Braille is really the pivotal skill that you really want to have in, in STEM. Absolutely. And now 
you've had a number of jobs, and it sounds like you were pretty successful in obtaining jobs. Often when we talk to blind individuals, they run across some reticence from employers, and you know, getting their foot in the door is usually the hardest part, but there's always a little bit of pushback even after that. Did you run into such problems? Um, I didn't necessarily run into that. I ran into issues where they would move to a new platform, and sometimes those platforms were not as accessible or accessible at all. And so this required, you know, for example, the university that I worked for for 17 years to come up with some creative solutions and to move me into a role that I could be successful at. So they mostly solved the problem by changing your assignment rather than making the system more accessible. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, because the tools that they went to, there was no accessibility solutions. And in fact, I still don't think there is today. But that's interesting. I mean, part of this is your ability to be flexible and not get fixated on, I'm going to do this, and if I can't do this, I'm not going to do anything. Well, absolutely. You know, we should talk a little bit about my first experience when I came to work at Microsoft in the mid-90s. You know, this was in 1995, and I, and I supported Microsoft Access and supported it both for general customers as well as enterprise customers, so people, you know, who are doing stuff with it from a business perspective, connecting to things like SQL Server and, and other database platforms. And at that time, you know, JAWS for Windows was just at, you know, 1.0. Yes. Mm -hmm. And uh, this was back in the day where I started to support the product in Windows 3.11. And if you think that accessibility was rough, you know, just a, a few years ago, this was really something where we had to get very innovative to be able to allow me to be effective. Yep. I remember making that transition myself at Xerox. Yeah. yeah. And, and so we had, to, we had to come together as a team at Microsoft and come up with solutions. You know, we didn't have the ability with a screen reader to drag and drop and things like that, right? So we had to come up with creative tools to be able to solve these problems and allow me to be more effective in my job. And in fact, in some respects, the, the way that we accomplished things, I was actually more effective in my role than even some of my sighted counterparts because I could do them more quickly because we developed automation and, and tools that would help me in my job. But it took a, it truly took a village of, of both engineering at Microsoft as well as me, you know, coming up with creative results. You know, it's interesting you should talk about that. And I think I read something similar in some of the profiles I read about you is how you became an expert at some of these things and were giving your sighted colleagues advice. And that very similar thing happened to me when we made the transition to Windows at Xerox. Everybody was afraid of, oh, this new operating system, how am I going to use it? But I had to learn it in detail to be able to wrestle it, to be able to do the things I needed to do. And so I quickly became an expert, whereas other people, they just, well, you know, can I push here, click here? And they were coming to me for advice, which was funny. Well, you know, it's interesting. You know, I think that everyone can learn from each other and it's truly a team approach. You know, I can learn from my sighted counterparts and they can learn from me. And I think that the combination really goes well together if you can learn to do that effectively and remember that we're all there to accomplish the same goal. Yes. And it truly makes for a wonderful working relationship. And you can truly thrive when you have an environment such as that. Yeah. And of course, the interesting thing about all of Pete's colleagues asking him for advice is he 
navigated using all the keyboard shortcuts, which, you know, I can't tell you how many sighted people I've watched struggling with the mouse, especially when it was new, but even now that it's not at all new, to click on exactly the right spot. But when you use the keyboard shortcuts, it's much more efficient. And so someone would come in and ask Pete, how do you do something? And he'd go, you know, control this, control that, control the next thing. Right. And they're like, really? Tell me how to do it with a mouse. He's like, figure that out yourself. You know, this is going to (laughs) work. Yeah, absolutely. But then there are times where you need to rely on, you know, someone who can quickly do something with the mouse because there is no keyboard alternative. Yes. And so this is where really partnering together and, you know, really solving everything together, it truly makes the best results. We've run into both situations. So you talked about your various coding experiences through the years and working at the university, and you came to Microsoft just a few years ago. How did that come about? Yeah, well, I I was working at the University of Arizona, and I was also working pretty extensively with the American Council of the Blind, of which I'm a national board member of. And we were doing some advocacy work with Microsoft. Windows 10 had just come out, and we were working with them and uh, an opportunity came up where I was able to, you know, work with, work with this team that I'm on now, as well as others. And, and a role opened up at Microsoft and, you know, I, I got a phone call and took them up on an interview and now I'm here. And what is your role there now exactly? Do you interact a lot with users? Do you work with the development teams or a combination? Yeah, I do all of that. So I'm a program manager. So I help develop features for Narrator, which is the Windows built-in screen reader. So I work with my fellow program managers, and then we work with developers to implement these features. And then we also talk with customers through all kinds of different channels, including the Narrator Advisory Board. And we really gather you know, information and data to move the ball forward about where we're going to go next, or even about what things that we're learning about features that we're developing as part of the Windows Insider process. So it's it's really a fun journey here at Microsoft. I'm, I'm actually loving my job. I come to work every day very excited about the work that I'm doing. That's great when people can enjoy the job they're doing every day, because when you think of it, you're there for a long time and you better enjoy it. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. At least 10 hours a day, generally. That's great. So now I also understand from reading about you that you joined the Toastmasters. I was wondering if that was going to come up. Well, (laughs) you know, in talking to you, the first thing Nancy and I thought, you're very easy to edit. You talk so well. And I thought maybe you could tell people a little bit about what the Toastmasters is and how you think that plays a role in your professional career. Absolutely. Toastmasters is a public speaking organization. It teaches you how to prepare speeches and give them. And you are very strongly critiqued, you know, nicely. <laughs> most of the time. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And one of the big problems that I had as a public speaker was gestures. You know, um, since I was blind from birth, I, I really did not see how others communicate. You know, people who can see use lots of gestures. They use their hands, they use 
facial expressions. They use their eyes. And they look at the people they're talking to. Absolutely. Yeah. They use their eyes. They, you know, there's all kinds of communication that's happening non-verbally that I had no clue about at all. At all. I'm still not very good at it, you know, as far as gesturing and things like that. But I'm a lot better than I was from many, many, many years at Toastmasters. And it's also a leadership organization. It teaches you leadership principles and is something that, that you can learn a lot from. If it's, it's truly one of the things that I feel um, pivoted me forward in my career and in my personal life as well, because it teaches you about all aspects of communication. And as you point out, those communication skills are so important, not only professionally, but in your personal life, just to be able to talk to people and communicate your ideas. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and, and sometimes I would even, you know, be giving a presentation and they would stop me and say, why are you frowning? And I wouldn't even think that I was frowning. <laughs> you know, it's just interesting how, at least for me personally, I don't really focus on how my face, you know, what it's doing. And it's interesting how, you know, that happens sometimes. And it truly gives off a different feel visually from what you're presenting. And it can be very awkward and, and very difficult for, for someone who can watch you to be able to overcome that. And it's not in something intentional, you know? Yeah. And so I had to learn a lot about that too. So it was just truly amazing. I, I love the Toastmaster experience. I've never really thought of Toastmasters as being a tool for visually impaired people. And I know many sighted people really have gained a lot from being part of that organization, but it sounds like it could be particularly useful for someone with a visual impairment for exactly some of the reasons you mentioned. Well, thanks for telling people about it. Yeah, absolutely. You are listening to Eyes on Success. Success, success, success. Now for this week's final item, how to contact Jeff Bishop. So if people had questions for you, Jeff, would they be able to contact you somehow and get in touch? Yeah, absolutely. There's a number of ways to do that. You can follow me on Twitter. So you can do that at Jeff Bishop, J-E-F-F-B-I-S-H-O-P, or you can email me at jeff at jeffbishop.com. I would love to be able to communicate with, with really, you know, all of you. So if any questions or Anything like that would be happy to help out. And if anybody wants to learn more about your work with Narrator, they should listen to last week's show. And we've got all of the Microsoft contact information in there, in the show notes and the audio. Absolutely. And how about Toastmasters? Where would people find Toastmasters if they wanted to get involved in that organization? You can go to Toastmasters.org. That's the website of the organization. And you can learn about what clubs are in your area and learn more about the program itself. And all of the material they provide is accessible. And if people want to hear you on ACB Radio? Yep, they can go to acbradio.org and learn all about all the things that are happening there. Or they can go to the Apple iOS App Store and download ACB Link and connect to ACB Radio that way. And in case you missed any of that in the audio, we have all of that contact information as usual in the show notes associated with this episode at www.eyesonsuccess.net. I also want to remind people if they're looking for other interviews we've done with blind professionals in various fields, such as law, pharmacy, oceanography, geology, physics, et cetera, et cetera, just put the search term employment 
or one of those keywords into the search field on our website, and you'll find links to those episodes along with the show notes and a summary of each episode. That's it for show number 2014. Next week on Eyes on Success, we'll be talking about things you can do while isolated due to the coronavirus pandemic. Because this disease is traveling around the population so quickly, many people have been told to stay at home. And we will be talking about things you can do, everything from getting food to finding extra free reading material to getting relief on your taxes. That's it for now. Tell a friend about Eyes on Success and hope to catch you all next week. You've been listening to Eyes on Success, hosted and produced by Nancy Goodman Torpy and Peter Torpy and distributed by WXXI Reach Out Radio. You can access the full archive of previous shows, subscribe to the podcast, and much more by going to our website, www.eyesonsuccess.net. If you have questions about anything you've heard on the show or have suggestions for future shows, send an email to hosts at eyesonsuccess.net. Thank you for listening and have a nice day.